On this episode, we're highlighting Indigenous authors as we dive into two coming-of-age novels with Firekeeper's Daughter and Black Sun. If these two are still on your to-be-read pile, we'd skip to another episode. Welcome back to Page Rage, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Now, see, you got me doing Every it. Every time. <laughs> you got me doing time. it now. <laughs> Great well, show, though. I do love it. It is good. I need to watch it. Is it, like, on a streaming service somewhere? Because It was on Nick and Knight back in the day. I, I understand that, but I need it, like, you know, instant gratification 2021. I need to find it, like, on peacock or something i would love to watch that all over again i would too um, it's probably a little cringy in places though i've noticed uh, oh. watching those shows back it's like Ooh. considering john travolta played like a airhead it's hard for me to see him like that because i love him so i mean that was basically his uh role in saturday night fever too oh so. yeah it was rough but man could he dance he sure could did you see the second did you watch the second movie i didn't know there was a sequel until last year Deep in the pandemic of 2020, I discovered <laughs> I discovered some leggings and some tiny shorts and John Travolta. I was like, wow. Now I have to people. research that and mm-hmm. see it because I've seen all of his movies because I love him so much. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing will ever top you screaming when you saw his uh, handprints and footprints oh, at the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame. That was a good moment. I still have that moment. I may have to put that up on our on our Instagram, just in the stories. <laughs> Also want to give a quick shout out to my sorors, even though when we post this episode, it will not be our anniversary. We are actually recording on November 21st. So we are celebrating 40 years of Music of Son Sorority Incorporated. So shout out to us, my home away from home. I'm now done. <laughs> Happy Founders Day. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. I know my birthday's in three days, but- Your birthday like is it. also coming up. It is on my calendar. All right, Firekeeper's Daughter was written by Angeline Boulay and was published in March of 2021. This novel follows Donis Fontaine, who is biracial, she's French and Italian and native, who's an 18-year-old struggling with coming to terms with her identity and the various worlds that she inhabits. We are thrust into the middle of a tragic murder-suicide and the repercussions throughout this tight-knit community that is unfortunately very well-versed in violence and addiction. Danis finds herself as a CI for the FBI trying to put a stop to a very lethal strain of meth that has begun to permeate the teenage community in the area, and we're taking along on her journey to discover the culprits and, of course, discover herself along the way. Kat, what were your overall thoughts on Firekeeper's Daughter? How did you feel about this one? There were moments I loved this book, and there were moments I felt like, I can't remember what book you said, the one that you felt like the automatic with the clutch start stop, I felt like there was some of that writing And then when she was talking about the traditions and talking to the elders and the regalia and the dreamscapes and adult thoughts, she flowed very well in her writing. Whereas I felt Danis, when she was talking to Jamie specifically, and she was like hard into the teenage mode, it felt very much like a start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. So that knocked down the ratings for me. I gave it a three, again, half stars, good read. (laughs) I gave it a 3.5, 3.75 because there were moments I teared up. I really fell into the story. It really moved me. But I also felt like there were certain things she probably could have left out because it was quite a read. And so I I loved the book. I loved learning all the traditions. I loved learning on the background on the outfits, especially. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what even the tiniest little thing had a meaning and I'm obsessed with that. I mean, especially the ending, I mean, blew me away. So I loved it. I would highly recommend it. What about you? I I have to agree with that last point about just 
learning more even about the details of why the regalia is so important, it just gives you that perspective of why when people are basically appropriating cultures, you know, on Halloween and doing all these things, why it can upset people from that culture, because you have no idea what some of those things mean and how deep the meaning goes. I think what I, I really loved about this book was learning just a deeper level, at least this particular tribe's culture and understanding that those dresses that Danis and others were wearing in those powwows had 365 different mm-hmm. bells on them. And each one of those they had to earn and nothing was just given to them. And so it just gives you like a perspective of how deep and intricate all of these are. And it's beautiful. Just the way that, that Danis was interacting with the world around her, her ceremonies every morning, even before she went to, you know, on a run, just the way that they respected their elders, especially Danis. Oh. And it was beautiful. I've never encountered a culture where that's really happening in that manner. And I, I really loved learning about it. But in terms of the overall book, I mean, whew, this book was a beast on a lot of levels. It was, I loved it. I loved a lot of this. You know, this has a special place in my heart whenever mm-hmm. somebody's dealing with being biracial and trying to figure out how to navigate those different Mm -hmm. worlds. But it was tough. This was really hard because they are dealing with a lot of very adult themes, even though most of the main characters in this book were not adults. There's so much violence. There's so much addiction. They lost, what, like four or five people back to back? Mm -hmm. And that wasn't even out of the norm. And that just shook me as a person. But I think one of the most important things that they talked about throughout this whole book was violence against women and especially how Native women are treated. And I know we've seen this pop up in the media quite a bit where it's, you know, the difference between a Native or a woman of color going missing and then, you know, the response times and things like that. And there's a very severe issue. So that really shook me. Uh, This book was definitely an emotional read, but I would, I definitely recommend it. I I loved it. I agree with you. The abuse on women. I mean, let's talk about the call me grant guy that shook me to the core. That was disgusting in all kinds of levels. And I felt such an inner rage. Yeah, I needed some vindication, but it was real life. So they were Mm -hmm. trying to show how it would actually be handled. And unfortunately, what happened in the book is most likely how it would have been handled. Trash for the cover art for the book. Oh my God, this book is beautiful. I mean, it's one of the prettiest I've seen. It's beautiful. I mean, the two faces and just showing the literal two halves of Danis in on the cover of this book um because you have the lighter face and the darker face and Mm -hmm. the fact that they're making like a butterfly and it's just oh it's beautiful she did a lot of great attention to detail well one of the biggest parts of this book and and like we said even on the cover it's it's dealing with identity from start to finish and it's dealing with so many different characters and their different struggles with identity how did you feel about the way the author dealt with identity in this novel between Danis struggling being, you know, Firekeeper versus Fontaine and even Jamie struggling with his own identity, which I, it's hard for me to even put into words because I'm just an outsider viewing somebody else's perspective. I am white. So there's no other kinds of identity crises I deal with. So it was interesting to see how she struggled. I have to say Danis was one of the most disciplined, respectful. Oh my gosh. Yes. At such a young age, she wrote her with such integrity and all the Mm -hmm. things people even now don't even have in my thirties, you know, and I was blown away by that. And I think she did very well accepting and honoring both sides of her family. I was really impressed with her as a character. Jamie, I felt I'm going to be real when Jamie did his, I didn't, it didn't hit as hard. I kept forgetting like in my head, I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was like, there's, there's bigger issues going on. You know, that's what I kept thinking. 
thinking. So I didn't, I didn't put as much into Jamie as I did Dana. She was built so well. She had her little flaws because she was a teenager and who doesn't have flaws as a teenager. Yes. <laughs> so I thought Boulay wrote her in a very well-rounded person. And I can't see anybody reading this book and not liking her so much as a character. What about you? Yeah, she was a very, she was a very thoughtful human, especially at that age. For me, this book, it hit home in a lot of places because I'm also mixed race and I grew up with very different cultures within my family. My mom's family being European, German, not even like the normal Protestant white Anglo-Saxon, but like German, uh, Eastern European. And my dad's family being just like a giant mix of black and native, which was also interesting to see them actually discussing a lot of this because the way that native and black cultures have really fused together in history is not talked about a lot, but it's very much a thing. I have it in my family. So um, I see it firsthand. For me, I felt so much for this character, the struggle of the firekeeper versus Fontaine. I know exactly what that feels like to inhabit what feels like multiple worlds where I'm inhabiting traditionally white spaces, even though I'm seen as other, but then going more so into more spaces that are owned by, you know, my black family or other minorities and still not being seen as fully a part of it because there's still something different about me because of the fact that I am biracial. I grew up in very white areas. So I just have a very different perspective of life. And I really felt Danis's character because of that. I understood the struggle of trying to really feel for your cultural identity. And I was very jealous. She had that tie to her culture um, that I really didn't have growing up. I was kept very separate from my dad's side of the family. So I, I was jealous that she had that at a young age. And it's like, even though she was still struggling to be a part of it, she still had a connection. She had a family member that was really reaching out. Um, I did have family members that tried to reach out, but mm-hmm. it was tough. It was definitely tough. Um, so I, I, I definitely felt for it. I totally understood the struggle feel it 100%. And it's and it's hard for her because like she would go, you know, onto the res and they're talking about her being a Fontaine and growing up in the big house and being bougie and you're seeing her interact with her grand Mary and grand Mary is talking about, you know, native people and she's looking down on them and she's like, Oh, Dennis, you're not a part of that. I had that happen. Like I had my own like step grandparents say the same things to me. <laughs> How do we differentiate that? It's very strange the way people try and separate you from other in their head when they're family. So I got it. And with Jamie, Jamie's was interesting. I I, I do agree. It was more of like a backstory. Yes. But I think he felt what I felt for him was the fact that exactly like me, I didn't always have that close connection with my dad's side of the family. So I didn't really get to know a lot about that side of my culture as a, at a young age. And I think he was struggling with that. I think he was like suddenly immersed with Danis, who had this beautiful culture around her and actually knew where she came from, even though it was you know problematic. And he was still struggling to figure out who he was. And so I think that was such a big part of this is because exactly why they broke up in the end. She's like, until you know who you are, I can't, I can't fill that hole for you. Like you have to find it for yourself. So I I felt it on so many levels. So So that's why I wanted to hear what you had to say, because I knew you would connect with this more than I would. Do you think Danis had a deeper connection with one side over the other? Fontaine versus Firekeeper? I think we saw a lot of the Firekeeper side in this. We Mm -hmm. got to see a lot of the culture there. So I almost want to say that she did have a stronger connection to the Firekeeper side, but she also had a very special world with her her mother and her and her grand Mary and like that side of her family as well. I don't I didn't see as much of a cultural connection there. Um, there were little things like drinking the Italian like slush wine and all that. Like there were little oh. things that she picked up from obviously her grandparents, but I just feel like she had a stronger connection to 
the firekeeper side. Going off of what you just said, do you think that's because there is so much tradition that is so upheld on the firekeeper side versus it's hard to keep traditions? I can even tell it in my Greek family as my older people pass away. It's harder to keep the Greek traditions going because we don't have the people who did them every day, all day. Keep it as alive as it is, as it kind of gets diluted down through the generations. I didn't even know she was Italian until you just said the Italian wine. (laughs) I never caught that. I think, I feel like that's probably the reason she pulled so hard to the firekeeper is because their traditions are still so strong, so well-versed within their younger generations. I completely understand why she pulled to the firekeeper side. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that can be a part of it. I think Native Americans as a whole have obviously been through hell and back, as have most of the people of color, unfortunately, in our country. And they had to fight to regain their culture because, unfortunately, white America and various religions try to stamp out their culture. The fact that we even have some supplements of this is incredible. But I think that's also why it's so strong is because they had to fight so hard to hold on to it. For like my grandmother and my mom, I think it was harder because there's definitely an an age gap. So between me and my grandmother, there was 80 years. So I grew up in like an older family just in general. Her mother, my great grandmother was actually the one who was who came over from Germany. But Mm -hmm. in that time, I don't want to say it was similar because white immigrants do not have the same experience that immigrants of color do in any capacity. But at the same time, there was this pressure to assimilate and to become mm-hmm. American and change your name and get rid of everything that made you different. I think a lot of the culture was unfortunately lost because of that. It was just a time where you didn't really celebrate those traditions and things like that. So I think it was a lot of unfortunate timing. I agree. I just don't think it's as strong on that side. So maybe that's what it was for, for Danis's family as well. Backpacking off that, this book deals with a lot of heavy subjects, including the especially harmful to communities of color and Native communities like addition and violence against women. How did you feel as a reader about the way the author dealt with these topics? I think she dealt with them in a as good of a way as you possibly can. I think it was just almost it was overwhelming of what has become normal in these communities and just everything that they absolutely have to absorb. The fact that they have these blanket parties to wrap up men who commit acts of domestic violence and that's kind of like their the way that they come back at them. I mean, the fact that it's like now ingrained in their culture, even the fact that, you know, at the end, when they did the end powwow and they were wearing like the red regalia, the fact that they have to have that to honor women who have been assaulted or are missing and all of that, it just makes you take a step back. Why is it this way? You know, but I, I think she told a very important story. And I think that for some people who maybe aren't as familiar, or this isn't their truth, or this isn't something they've had any tie to, I think this could be very eye opening, especially since it is written by a woman who grew up in this community and, you know, has lived her life as a native woman. So I think it's she told a very important story. And I think she did it as best as she could. What about you? I'm going to say I am aware of the abuse among native women. However, the traditions and the powwows. It definitely opened my eyes at the end when they were at that ceremony and Granny June turns to her and she said, Lily gave thanks every year that you weren't here. Crushed me. Who I have chills right now. Like I'm emotional. That blew my mind. 
and the blanket parties and when Call Me Grant got away with it, I felt such an inner rage. Like there's no justice in that. I mean, she pulled that reaction from me. I am I am aware of it, but not as well versed in it as other people are. I think she did a great job opening my eyes and opening other people's eyes. All these women were so dignified in all the things they were having to deal with. I do agree that the way that they showed the ceremonies and like the healing circles for women who were had been assaulted or dealing with things like that. It's a beautiful way to deal with such an ugly situation. And the fact that that she looked around and had, first of all, yes, it's, it crushes me that there were so many women that were a part of this. But mm-hmm. the fact that she could literally turn and have like sisters around her who understood what she was going through. I think that was beautiful. Um, and I, I agree. the fact that that's a part of it is sad, but the way that they are big, the way that they have figured out how to move through it is beautiful. But overall, I mean, there was a lot happening in this book, but the FBI case is really at the heart of this novel. And obviously we see Dana's go through this investigation. She learns a lot about herself. She learns a lot about her uncle David and really what happened to him as well as her community. How did you feel about that whole journey? especially towards the end when she started kind of like withholding things from the FBI because she was like, no, I need to help my community and this is not how we're going to do it. I could see how it was conflicting for her because she's essentially ratting out people she's grown up with, people who are childhood friends. And I can see how she felt conflicted, like bearing her traditions, like your traditions are a part of your soul. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially putting your soul out there for everybody to see. And again, she's like 18. Like yeah. she definitely took a whole lot of steps more than most adults do now. So I'll give her props for that. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I can mirror a lot of what you said, but I think there were there were just points during this investigation where I, I really liked when she kind of had that come to Jesus, as I like to say, moment with Ron and Jamie, where she was like, listen, you are pigeonholing these people based on this tiny little thing that you know about them. Here's everything else you don't know. So before you kind of come at me, like I'm withholding information, you can't just classify a person as who they are based on this one little tiny instance. And I love that she did that because I think that's what we've been talking a lot about this year is that you can't necessarily just see a villain as one sided. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely like a backstory. There's a reason why this p- person is this way. So I think that was a really important moment. And I, I love that she said that because she definitely made them take a step back. Like, she here. checked them. She yeah, checked them real she hard. She checked them real hard. And I, I thought that was a really good good moment for her. But I mean, overall, this investigation, I mean, it was crazy. I can't, I can't imagine A, being tapped by the FBI to be like an informant. B, finding out that she very well was somebody that they were watching because of what was going mm-hmm. on with her bank account. And then just really uncovering how deep this rabbit hole went. So many people that she loved or were close with were involved. It was crazy. She handled this so well because I would have been just a basket case trying to, it's just like everything's a lie around you, you know? I would have been traumatized for life for sure. Absolutely. I would have needed a lot of therapy after that. I also loved the light touches of, I almost want to say like magical realism. Like when they were talking about the little people and how mm-hmm. those teenagers were all talking about these little people and the FBI agents thought that they were hallucinating, but it was actually, you know, basically like guardians for this tribe. And I thought that was a really just like cute nod too. I got really excited because this the other series I read, The Dresden Files, mm-hmm. he puts all kinds of mythology, all cultures. I love mm-hmm. it. They have such a small but important role in that book series that when I read that, I was like, hey, I know them. Y'all get shit done. Small but mighty, tiny but fierce. I love that. I loved that. 
Okay, so the author pulls a lot of her Ojibwe culture into this novel. Were there any traditions or teachings that you were really touched by? I know we've talked about a lot of them, but was there anything else that you can really think of that stood out to you? I mean, we we mentioned it, but I want to follow th- follow up with more about it. How she didn't dance for a year of mourning, and then when she came out and danced in red with all the other women, that one really hit me really hard. But I also liked the acknowledgement of the mourning period that one I especially loved. What about you? There were so many things that I really enjoyed. I loved that they honored like crossing the river every time they did it because they're like, it's a different river every time. I also really enjoyed when she was like just doing flashbacks about when she became a woman, like when she got got her period for the first time and they were like, okay, are you going to fast? Are you going to do this? And she was just talking about the berry thing with her aunt Mm -hmm. Penny and like how she was like torturing her with like taking her blueberry picking and all that. And then when she finally got to have that blue, those blueberries and the strawberries at the end of it, at the end of that time, it's like every moment, there's just so much thought behind it. And it just makes all of those little parts of life that much more meaningful because they had so many different traditions. I also loved when they had their like coming of age moment that she was talking about. And I think she said her and Stormy had kind of done it together where they were basically like out in the wilderness fasting. Mm-hmm. I loved how they talked about Stormy's dad and how his parents dealt and struggled with addiction, but his dad was always there for him. And so they were talking about how they were out and they were cold and they were shaking when they were fasting outside, but she could still hear the dad drumming from like the tree stand. Yes. And how even when at the end of the novel, when Stormy is in jail, because he literally just won't talk, he just shut down. His dad was outside drumming uh, so that he knew that he was there. It killed me. Like it just yeah. killed me because again, they were not letting any of those people be one-sided. Like, yes, he was an addict, but he was also a really good dad. So yeah. I love that they just, they made people whole. I also want to put, I made a note about the part with the period. There was a few lines in there that I absolutely loved. Women are the most powerful during their period and we carry our own fire and medicine within. Her moon is our mighty time. I, I love like, that. Why isn't that taught all the time? I wish it was. <laughs> first got it. You know what? That's, I love that. That's also what makes me sad about the way America had to be America sometimes is can you think about the how different we might have been if we had like embraced native culture instead of Mm -hmm. trying to stamp it out like that could have been something we grew up with because that would have been American culture and that makes me so sad because we would have had all of this as a part of like growing up and that would have been awesome I was like oh I love that I love that and I also loved Aunt Teddy was probably my favorite Aunt Teddy was awesome Aunt Teddy Mm -hmm. and the elders man I really I really enjoyed them Grandma June all her crew I loved them I loved Mini Mustang the Mini Mustang (laughs) I enjoyed them so much. I just want to be their friend and hang out with them and drive them to lunch. We love us some elderly crew. (laughs) And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not either. I do love them. Also, can we talk about the way that they honor people who have passed with like the four Mm -hmm. different days and like sending them off and how each day had such a beautiful meaning. Like there was a day for atonement. There was, a, you know, it was, it was incredible. And even at the end of the book, what got me was when Grand Mary passed away and mm-hmm. Dennis and her mom were in the hospital because Dennis was recovering from her near death experience. And her aunt Teddy did that for Grand Mary, even though Grand Mary looked down on native people her whole life, she still kept those fires going and made sure that she was honored. What is that? That's amazing. Yeah, I'm telling you, Teddy came through clutch on so she many did. things. She, she was really good. She was great. She was good people. Speaking of all the elders we loved, which, 
Which one's coming of age story would you most want to read? Which one were you most interested in? Oh my God. I think I need Granny June and Minnie Mustang. I think I need to like experience their generation, basically the whole generation of elders that we love. I need to see them like young and running around crazy. I agree. I love, I love all of you. the elders. They were, even Grand Mary had her moments. Like I, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I got a very good idea of who she was. I think one of my favorite moments, Grand Mary, was the fact that Dana's and her mom every single day in the hospital would make sure to put on her red lipstick. And then it tied in at the end when Janice was in the hospital. And one of her first recollections of kind of like coming back, she feels her mom (laughs) putting something on her. And she's basically like, this hoe had better not be putting red (laughs) lipstick on me. But it wasn't red. It was like a nice pop in pink or something. And I was cracking up. I love that that was their own little tradition that they had. And it, it killed me. That was so funny. It reminded me of my grandma because my grandma, you know, that age never went out of the house unless never. they were fully made up. My grandmother used to tell me that all the time. She's like, never leave the house unless you're fully ready to see anybody. I can't imagine my grandmother <laughs> seeing us now like in sweats and like yoga pants and stuff. She would not be pleased with me. Do you think Jamie and Donna are going to get together? I do. I do because of the fact that she literally had a premonition of their child. I think that also helped her to be able to let go and know that this was like the best thing for them at the time but that when they were meant to be together it was going to work out but I I do I don't think it's going to be an immediate thing I think it's going to take some time mm-hmm. but I do think they're going to be together how did you feel about her and Jamie though like from the beginning throughout the novel how did you feel about that relationship did you think uh-huh. it was real did you think he was playing her oh yeah for sure I thought he was and then when he slipped the I love you I was like mm, okay I, I would have reacted just like her well not because she had the thing with TJ yeah it was a little bad. It stressed me out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, you're 22, man. Like she just turned 18. I felt a little yeah. iffy about that, to be honest. But when at the end, when he, he wanted to get close to you, I thought, oh, that ship sailed a while ago. I was like, he ain't that good of an actor. No. <laughs> like, come on. That's quite I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't believe that for a second. I, I liked, I liked them. And I liked the fact that it ended up being him actually falling for her he was just so cute with her like they were just mm-hmm. and it's funny because she's like this hockey player and she's like a bro and you know nobody wanted to go near her because they were terrified of her brother as they should be because he was mm-hmm. actually like you know really not a good person <laughs> but like the little moments where he would just come up and he would just spin her and keep walking and they're like okay Patrick Swayze like <laughs> I was dying because I could just see it in my head I'm actually very excited to see this become a show so me too I want to see who they cast I, I really hope they do all of native casts I think they have to. And it's going to be uh, the Obama's Higher Ground Productions that are doing it mm. alongside of the author. So it's going to be a native cast. I love that. Very excited about that. They haven't obviously released any information about it, but I think they're going to do it well. And I can't wait. I'm probably going to cry through the whole thing, but I'm very excited. Prepare for it. Well, how did you feel about the ending overall? Obviously, we talked about Jamie and Dennis and where that ended. But how did you feel about... The way everything shook out with Mike and Levi and Dana Firekeeper. I'm not going to lie. I wanted a little bit more to happen to all of them. I didn't feel as vindicated as I wanted to be. I thought Mike should have been caught and had a blanket party. I thought Grant should have had a blanket party. And, like, and then tossed off the cliff. Yeah. yeah, gone to real prison. I also wanted Dana Firekeeper to have... I don't know, some kind of more remorse? demotion. Yeah. Like remorse, like more demotions, more thrown to the side in as much way possible for I never expected that. That was I didn't either. left field. I knew Levi was the guy, like from the jump. I was yeah. like, All right, it's it's definitely gonna be the brother. Dana hit me from the sidelines. I was like, oh, 
okay. So I was kind of disappointed about that. It was a good ending. It shows the injustice in the Native communities on how they can't do certain things. And again, I, I, I ugh, it makes me ill. I wanted to throw my shoe at somebody. It was like 30 seconds after she became an enrolled tribal member. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now suddenly they can't press charges against Mr. Wannabe Grant or whatever his name is because it was on tribal land and she's a tribal member. And it, I hate the way they use that against them. That's supposed to be there to protect Native people and they're using it in a way to not punish right. white men that are going on to like reservations to just fuck shit up. And that makes me so angry. Like that made me infuriated. So uh, oh, I was I was very frustrated at the end of this. I get it. I think she made the right decisions and not having everything be like a happy ending and everything super buttoned up and all this stuff. Like she made the right decisions. Because it shows how things actually are probably working out. I wanted Art and Teddy to come out like full guns blazing. Not gonna lie, that would have been amazing. Grant. I wanted amazing. I wanted Art's like nice teddy bear to like go full rage, yep. beat some ass, but like behind Teddy because Teddy was probably gonna be leading the charge. <laughs> yeah, I wanted that to happen. For sure. that, that's really what I wanted for her. Overall, I do think this was a great book. I like I said was very moved by a lot of this. It was dealing with a lot of very tough situations. So, you know, be prepared for that. If you are going to read it, it does deal with rape and violence and drug abuse and addiction and just a lot of things that are very tough. But it's a beautiful book, um, despite all of the hard things that are in it. Um, and definitely recommend it. Very excited to see the Netflix show. Hopefully they do it, it do it well. Otherwise, it will be on PageRage. 3.75 is a combined score from, yes. from PageRage. Uh, so definitely recommend this read. Absolutely, a thousand percent. I really do recommend this. It was very eye-opening for somebody who has no ties to the Native community and is very not as educated. So it's definitely eye-opening. And if you like to delve yourselves into other communities, other mythologies outside traditions, I highly suggest this. On to our next book that we dove into. Black Sun is an epic fantasy novel written by Rebecca Roanhorse and was published October 13, 2020. This novel brings fantasy to the Americas inspired by pre-Columbian indigenous civilizations. This novel follows several key characters flashing between a decade in the past to a few days prior to an event called the Convergent. We are thrust into a Game of Thrones, Grishaverse-esque world where power is being held by a priesthood struggling to hold on to the relevance as the crow clan begins the journey to avenge a genocide of the past we follow the chosen one serapio on his journey to become a god as well as the two characters who he will forever be intertwined with this is truly a unique spin on fantasy world although we will say this first book ends with a massive cliffhanger i just needed everybody to know that because i was i was a bit annoyed overall thoughts on this book and the world bidding of toba overall i really liked this book i can definitely see that she was involved in the star star wars universe in some capacity um, I can, I can see this world, just the visualizations. I mean, she's a beautiful writer. I really did enjoy it, but will warn everyone that there is a lot of world building here. Very similar to any other big, massive fantasy series. Like this is really setting it up. So, you know, it's gonna, I'm gonna say like the first probably 25% of this book, you're just really world building. So you're in it for the long haul because we all know the second book is just the bridge to the third book. So I'm in it to the third book at this point. So I need them to start <laughs> popping out so I can see what happens. But overall, I did really enjoy this book. What about you? I have to say the world building was intense. 
I think my favorite thing about this book is her descriptions on all the regalia blew me away. Every, every single character, minor, major, whichever, anytime she described what they were wearing, I could see it perfectly in my head. I want to see it on screen. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I really want to see this on screen. I think this would be great. And I think the best part about this is that instead of it taking place in like randomly in the UK or mm-hmm. somewhere there, because I don't know why everything has to take place there, but it's actually here. It's like in the Americas, you know, and, and there's just a whole different flavor um, that's brought out because of it. And it, but it's cool to see all the like courtesans and, you know, these lords and whatever, but they are in very indigenous reflective mm-hmm. like clothing and I, I just really loved being in this world and seeing how it interacted but then of course it was definitely a hodgepodge of a lot of different cultures and then of course she also made her own thing out of it but I thought it was very well done. What did you think of the major city and town settings? Tova um, versus... I was slightly terrified when they were talking about having to cross everywhere on those little tiny bridges. I just imagined massively high bridges, you know, just connecting over like nothing. Kind of like Indiana Jones, like that scene. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's, that's where I what's went. in my head. And so I was like, oh God. So that made me very nervous for them. But I thought it was very interesting. I think it was very well placed in the, I think it was towards the beginning when the sun priest went on that tour of the city. So you kind of Mm -hmm. got, uh, you just got familiarized with the layout and what was happening and what was going on. So I thought that was interesting, but it was also like a very big contrast of Kwekula versus Tova and just seeing uh, the differences in like the gender roles and the religion and just how separate those two worlds were what about you i think they did a great job i build from something i know so mm-hmm. tova was like new york and quackala is like little <laughs> like tarpon springs right yeah. kind of thing like a little fishing town mm-hmm. is what i thought of it because that's what they're big on i think her world building in itself was very well drawn out i like i just said before not only on her outfits and clothes and what they wore i really want to see all this stuff brought to screen I really want to see what they can do with it with a good budget. I do too. I want to see the crows. I'm very attracted to that clan and like the red poisonous teeth. Like I'm like, I'm in it. I don't know what is up with me this year because I'm like the Avrovs and like the crows, but I've just like gone to the dark side here. So listen, I'm all about the teeks. That's who I want. <laughs> they are awesome, but I'm, that's who I want. I need more info because I'm a little nervous about what happened to Ziala because there's some hinting towards the end that her mom and her grandmother basically banished her from Mm -hmm. their clan. And I don't know why. So I love the concept, but I need to know what's going on before I can be all in. I don't know what it is, but when she dove under the water and then asked the mother to Mm -hmm. help her out, and I was like, damn, she turned into a fish. That's cool as shit. But I I definitely have been very intrigued on the teak side and the singing. So Mm -hmm. at the end of the book, they actually tell us a little bit. Spear maidens. The spear maidens. And they start talking about how badass the Spear Maidens are. And so I have a feeling that as these worlds build, the Spear Maidens may very well become one of my favorite. I'm getting very like Iron Teeth clan vibes from them or even Valkyrie. And especially because I don't think there's many of them left at this point. So that could be a really cool little side story. We'll see where she takes it. But that could be intriguing. But right now I'm like loving the crows. So... 
Well, then I'll jump ship and go to the Spirit Maiden. <laughs> so who was your favorite character out of the four? And um, who was your least favorite? Ziala is definitely my favorite out of the four. Least favorite is definitely Nara. I was not I was not team Nara for a good chunk of it. Probably until we got closer to the end. And she started putting up a little bit of fight, showing some fire, some spice. In the beginning, it was she was very wishy-washy and everything was just happening to her. And she's just like, oh mm-hmm. no, all these things are happening and people are trying to stage a coup, but I'm just going to fade in the background and it's all going to work out. I'm like, no, homegirl, what books have you been reading? It will never work out. They're going to throw your ass out of this tower. Was not a fan. What about you? Zala's. I yeah. love her. And then I love Serapio. I'm really good his <laughs> yeah. wounded soul, but I'm a yeah. badass grandpa crow kind of vibe. I'm really liking that. I kept seeing Jon Snow when he's north of the wall and has the big black like furry cape. That's all I kept seeing was that big yeah. black furry cape, but not in snow. So I'm trying to put that in a tropical area. I like when he said to her after he like unleashed the crows on the ship crew, he he like bent down. He was like, you're not the only one with siblings. I was like, oh, yeah, that that's the nice. But also when he did that, I was like, now how are you going to get out of the middle of the ocean? <laughs> I was like, Did we think this through? You know, it was like one of those moments like, cool, but you're in the middle of the ocean so what are you going to do now with two of you you're just going to have like all little crows push your boat like that's not very nice so my least favorite is right now it's nara although she's starting to pick up she's scaling the wall and i i kind of verse like the coyotes mall into kind of like a hood situation i'm like girl you from the hood i know you got some hood traits like like, throw some some stuff down come out i need a little fighting action so i'm hoping that picks up especially because it's like she's gotta start to throw it back to her roots i was like i need more from you so she yeah she has potential but right now i'm not a fan well out of those four main characters why do you think roan horse chose those specific characters out of anybody that we could have been out of any of the side stories why do you think those are the four that she highlighted especially okoa because he came in much later he came in almost the middle yeah i think xyla is a strong female lead and She's bisexual, which I love. And I think, again, what's it? She's like developed characters that we see in everyday, not only in other books, but in everyday situations, like a strong female lead mm-hmm. who women who are reading this can look up to. And then you have Serapio, who is blind and a virgin <laughs> and a virgin <laughs> and so masculine. He was kind of thrust into his role at a, a, a young age and had no idea what was going on. Trusting, I mean, you're trusting your mom to, and, you know, having to deal with that. I feel like it pulls at people's heartstrings. Um, and Nara, I think everybody needs somebody that they don't like as much. And she's going to get her arc eventually. Yeah, she definitely I'm will. assuming. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's definitely reasons for each of them. I think one of the key points of all of this, though, is that all of these characters are people of color. And so that mm-hmm. is huge for the fantasy world. That does not happen. And it's done in a way where it's it just is what it is. This is the world you're in. And it's awesome. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of these four specifically... I mean, yeah, poor Serapio, man. He really got the shit end of the deal. and He really did. Who wants our eyelids sewn shut? That oh, was that jacked me up. Yeah, that I was, was like, what is going on here? I was not okay with a lot of that. And the fact that he's still like a semi-decent human, mm-hmm. I can't fully say where he lands in the spectrum of villain or hero, which I'm fine with. I love, I love a good, you know, blurry line there. But 
Um, I think he's still a pretty decent human, all things considered. You know, <laughs> he took out a whole crew of men, but you know, he obviously- But he saved the person who was kind to him. Correct. And he is the quote unquote chosen one. This is, mm-hmm. the reason why I classified this as a coming of age novel is because of him. This was really him coming into who he was, but it was also very much the same with Nara. She was thrust into her son priest role as well at a young age. And she had not fully sunk into it. She wasn't owning it. She was just kind of like, again, like I said, letting things happen to her. Um, So I think for both of them, it was very much a coming of age, but from different sides. Mm -hmm. And obviously the whole coup with her had to happen so that she could actually end up in the second book. Because otherwise she'd be dead right now because Serapio just killed everyone literally in sight. Zyla, I love. Uh, She's just a very Mm -hmm. feisty, fun character. I do love the fluidity with her sexual partners. Mm -hmm. Also, shout out to Roanhorse for her pronoun usage and making sure that everybody had a place here, including those who are non-binary. Really love that there's several strong non-binary characters here. Love it. Ziala obviously was there to to be, like you said, that really strong character. Because despite everything, Serapio is not a strong lead. We're not sure who or what he is yet. I don't think he's sure of who or what he is yet. And Akoa, I also think, is building up to who he's going to be. And we also learn that there's, like, levels of these crows. So obviously you have, like, the normal crows. Then you also have these massive crows that people are actually riding around. Riding on. Dragons. I immediately oh. went to Throne of Glass. And yes, when I realized the that they were riders. Big, yes, then I got there. But at first I was like, what's happening? I don't, I don't understand. I think I, I'm seeing a lot of similarities. Like I can see Nara being kind of a Jamie Lannister kind of thing where she's like, fuck mm-hmm. it up. And you're like, get your shit together. <laughs> get it together, Nara. You can be better than this. So I'm waiting for yeah. her arc to happen. Zyla <laughs> definitely has like some Arya mm-hmm. Iron vibes. So I love it. Well, one of the, again, we've been talking about this a lot. It's just these mm-hmm. villains that aren't fully villains. And they're just in this morally gray area. Why do you think the author decided to kind of leave Nara and Serapio in this vague, gray, morally, I don't even know, fluid area? Ambiguous. <laughs> Ambiguous is the word. Ambiguous. <laughs> Why do you think she chose to leave them in this like ambiguous area where we're not really sure where they fall? Again, I think it goes back. I've said this before in other episodes. Like, not everybody's all good. Not everybody's all bad. There's a little bit of good and all bad people. There's a little bit of bad and all good people. So why do I think she did that? I think she's going to set them up for a nice character arc is what I really think is going to happen. I think we're going to hate them. And then I think we're going to root for them really hard. I'm already rooting for Serapio and mostly because he's had some serious childhood trauma. And also that's a lot to go through, you know, at a young age. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving him a lot of grace on a lot of things. Like when he killed everybody on the ship crew, I was like, all right. (laughs) They were being mean to his one friend. They were like, they were being mean. They were going to kill friend, you know, like he's got one friend. He was like, Hey, you're the only person who's been nice to me in quite some time. My dad didn't want anything to do with me, you know? So that childhood trauma really like sung to me. Because I'm thinking, this poor kid, I, I mean, how developed can you be at this age when mm-hmm. you've had all this trauma? Your one living parent doesn't want anything to do with you. I tend to give people grace on that aspect. I just hope they don't do the typical where he suddenly becomes like full on evil. Ziala yeah, has to like kill him. I want, if anybody's going to be evil, I need, I keep wanting Akala. to call her Nala. Her name is not Nala. It is Nara. <laughs> anybody's gonna be evil yeah i need it to be either like a koa or i need like nara to just go like full 
rogue queen of the underworld. Like I need it to not be the typical situation. I'll be a little annoyed if that happens. I agree. What did you think of the way Roan Horse tackled key themes like race and politics, gender, sexuality, religion in this novel? Just all of the things. All the things. All of the things. I mean, it was really interesting the way she balanced some of just the traditional ways that we label gender roles. And when I say gender roles, I mean, typically, if we're talking about a priest, that's male. And you say mm-hmm. priestess. And the fact that she was just saying priest, and that was the term, no matter who you were, I really loved that. I loved the way that she was playing with words to be more inclusive and to start erasing just how we associate them. So that was something that I actually really enjoyed. Religion is obviously a huge part of this. And Mm -hmm. you can definitely see a lot of similarities in just like things we see in history, things we see today, where you have like the main overarching religion, but then you're seeing like battles, you know, kind of coming up. And then this main overarching religion is trying to stamp out these little tiny things that really we can all live in peace and do whatever, you know worship whoever we want to worship and be fine. But I think she did a really good job in terms of like building that world and you getting an understanding of like the layout of the land, so to speak. But I also really appreciated the fact that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of hierarchy in terms of gender, at least in Tova. In other parts mm-hmm. of the world, there definitely are. But in Tova, it was it didn't seem that way. But there was obviously a hierarchy in terms of like, oh, you're from the Sky Clans or you're not. And you're not cute if mm-hmm. you're not. So there's definitely, you know, some kind of social ladder that way, but it was definitely a different world that we were in. I think she did a good job in the sense of these things are, it mirrors what what we live in now. Like no matter what, there will always be social classes, no matter if we try to get rid of or not, it just ends up falling into that situation. Just like, I mean, history has very much shown that certain religions will try to stamp out other religions that they don't know, that they're afraid of, that they don't understand, et cetera, et cetera. I definitely can see that. I think she did a great job of that being an undertone in her book. So if there was a side story, which one would you want to, which one would you want to read about? I think I've already said it, but definitely the Spear Maidens. I would like to know what's going on over there. I would also like some more backstory on the three, I don't want to call them trainers, but like the three mm-hmm. like tutors, tutors that Serapio had and how they were connected with his mother. I'm assuming we're going to find out more as the stories continue, but I'm definitely interested to hear more about that backstory. And also I need to know what's going on with the Teaks. I need to understand That's the one I want. what her mother, I need to understand what's going on over there. Cause I want to root for them, but there's something <laughs> fishy <laughs> happening and I need to know what it is first. So listen, I'm loving the manatee shout out. I was like, they get no love ever. That was <laughs> they have been mentioned that was so much in this book. And I was like, Hey, sea cows, you guys are getting your time to shine here. There are. <laughs> so I was like, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. I feel like there's just a lot of room for a lot of side stories. I also think we needed more um, background for Nara. There's obviously a lot going on. And I have a feeling in the second book, her backstory is going to be maybe more of the forefront. But I need mm-hmm. more from her. I need to understand like more about what was going on. Like her brother, he's just like basically a giant kingpin. <laughs> kingpin. So it's definitely a drug lord. Drug lord, <laughs> yeah. Need more uh, side story about what's happening over there, for sure. How did you feel about the relationship between Ziala and Serapio? I love them. I hope they go the distance. <laughs> I do. 
She's the only one who's been nice to him, and I he know. needs that. And and she needs somebody like softer. Yeah, and she's a very like strong personality. Although he's mm-hmm. actually a badass, but she's a very strong personality. So I think they balance each other out well. I do. I love that. He just can't throw his god tantrums. Like th- that's a one and done situation. Like we can't be doing that every Sunday because you're feeling frustrated. <laughs> so that would be my only thing. Is like that's a one and done. Now as how soon do as pros forward? start coming, she's like, knock it off. <laughs> I'm done with this. Stop it immediately. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I'm team. I don't even know what their ship name is, but whatever it is. Zilio. Did you think Serapio was going to go through with his mission? It was getting a little vague, but he seemed pretty focused on like what he needed to do. And I I mean I guess when your whole life is built towards this one thing, very much like Harry Potter, except the reverse. Harry Potter had no idea that his whole life was to be this one thing, this like mm-hmm. sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb chosen one. Oh. Whereas at least Serapio did know that this was all he was here to do but it was getting a little blurry because you know he does spend basically his last day with Diala and get to have some cute moments he's still a virgin which is annoying but <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that would go yeah no they have they have a couple moments but technically he's still a virgin I didn't know if he was going to go through with it though because he kind of let himself get sidetracked for like a day but I think that was just him having a day for himself before he died essentially and that kind of made it even worse he sure as hell went through with it he just exploded all over the place taking out people left and right so i'm not even mad at him not even mad (laughs) sometimes you just gotta let the rage out he sure did he surely did so is there anything you didn't like about this novel and where do you think the next one's going it was just it just took a bit to get into the meat of the novel which i know you (laughs) were talking about but it's it's like that you have to when you're when you're building a world like this you have to take that time otherwise you're like why is this important why is this here? Why is this happening? Why do we care? Mm-hmm. So you have to take that time. And I think anybody who reads true fantasy novels knows that. So you just kind of go into it understanding it's going to be a lot of world building. But still, it was a lot of world, a lot of world building. Yeah. So I am excited for the next book just to see how everything ties in now that we maybe don't need as much of that. But I really think that was probably just the biggest thing. What about you? It took me until like chapter 10 to 12 to actually get into the story because yeah. I had no idea what was going on half the time. Mm-hmm. I was bouncing around. I was trying to learn all the new characters. I was like, what is the plot of this? Yeah. Like, Where are we going? Mm-hmm. What is the issue? And then once it started going, it started like flowing pretty well. I'm hoping to get, like I said, like we talked about more Spear Maidens, more Nara, I want to know about her family. Yeah, I'm hoping to have more sibling things happening. And I want to go to Teak. I want to actually go to Teak and see what the dealio is. I want her to say, F my banishment. And like, she's probably going to have to go da- back there for something. I want to know what that backstory is. Yeah, and I want to yeah. see some manatees. I've been promised manatees and now I want to see them. Yeah, I do think she's going to have to go back there, but I think it's going to be a a bit rocky. It makes me very nervous. I don't know. (laughs) There's a lot going on there. And Serapio could definitely not go with her because they will chew him up and spit him out because there were a lot of things that Ziala was hiding about her culture. And she would just have these little side things where they were like talking about how, oh, men will go there and never come back. She's like, that's because we eat them. But we don't need to talk about it, you know? So it's like, I think that's going to be a little bit of a surprise. But yeah, I think I would like to, I would like to go there. I want to know what the deal is. I want to see what, what the bigger issue is that's going to come into play. Because where we left off, Serapio and Nara are not exactly dead like we think they're dead but they're not exactly dead we're not sure really Mm -hmm. if they are or not and so it's gonna probably come down to you know a face-off between the sun priest and the crow god obviously 
But mm-hmm. I'm already moving past that. I'm like, we already know what's going to happen. They're going to have their little moment. Somehow they're going to like band together. Who is the actual nemesis going to be? Like who is going to be the overarching force that they're going to be banding together to come back? Because we know it's not just going to end here. So like, where are who's we actually, who's the big, big bad? But I'm excited. I'm excited for the next two because obviously I'm not going to get a lot of answers in book two either. I think the next one actually comes out in like April of next year. So highly recommend. Definitely recommend this, especially if you love, actually mostly if you love fantasy and you're prepared for some world, world building, definitely recommend this. If that's not your scene, I don't know if you're going to love this one. If that's it, you might still enjoy it, but it's probably going to be frustrating for you in the beginning. We want to hear from you. Who are some of your favorite indigenous authors? Did Firekeeper's Daughter shake you to your core like it did us? Did you also yell at the end of Black Sun? Email us at hello at pageragepodcast.com or DM us on Insta at pageage underscore podcast. And of course, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast network. (laughs) 